So he asked, how can it be that some of the most intelligent people in the world don't believe there's a creator? How is that possible? Episode number 107. Welcome to the Torah Podcast. Lessons from authentic Judaism. Get the tools and inspiration you need for personal growth. Hosted by Rabbi Mitterhoff. Shalom, this is Rabbi Eliyahu Mitterhoff with this week's Torah Podcast. This week we'll be learning Perkyavos, the first chapters, Mishnayos 8 and 9. Being honest with yourself, don't take the bribe. We're going to have a powerful parable about a poor man and a joker. A great story about Rav Avram's free barber and peace in your home, giving and receiving rebuke. And now, Ethics of the Fathers, the fundamentals of Jewish faith and character development. So Mishnah 8 starts out like this. Yehuda ben Tabai v'shimun ben Shetak kiblu mehem. Yehuda ben Tabai omer. When sitting in judgment, do not act as a counselor in law. And when the litigants stand before you, consider them both guilty. And when they leave the courtroom, after having accepted the judgment, regard them as equally righteous. That was the eighth Mishnah. The ninth Mishnah says like this, Shimon ben Shattach would say, Increasingly cross-examine the witnesses, and be careful with your words, lest they learn from you how to lie. So there are a couple of points in these Mishnayos. First of all, don't act as a counselor of law. Second of all, you should look at the litigants as both being guilty, and after they leave the courtroom, you should look at them as both being righteous. The next Mishnah you should cross-examine the witnesses well and be careful that they shouldn't learn to lie from your words. So I'm going to start out with Rabbeinu Yonah because he covers a lot of the same material that most of them before Shem explain. He says like this, What does it mean not to make yourself as a counselor of law, like one of the lawyers? So he's not speaking about someone who teaches a defendant how to lie. Obviously, you can't do such a thing. But he is saying that you should not even guide the people about how to present their case. This behavior is wrong. This is different than what the world thinks. A person gets a lawyer to know what to say in front of the judges. And even to lie, nowadays lying is no problem. But even just to learn what to say in front of the judges, he claims that this is what the mission is telling us, this should not be done. For this behavior is wrong. We brings down a case of Kasubos where Rav Yochanan, he says he first thought that he should help his family out in such a case, because it says, do not ignore your family. And later he realized he should be keeping with a stricter standard. Why? Because you're not even supposed to tell the people how to act in front of the judges. Let the judges decide. This will produce the best results for the case, and the truth will come out. He continues and says, what does it mean that both the defendants should be as if they're Rashaim, as if they're evil in your eyes? He explains, this is so you shouldn't side with one of them. Because if you look at them as being righteous, you might take one of their sides. And you'll never be able to judge impartially. And you will not be able to recognize what's wrong. But if you view them both as wicked and deceitful, so then your heart won't be swayed. And you'll be able to arrive at the correct understanding of the case. 
It's very interesting because what he's saying, in order to have critical thinking, you have to look at the people as if they did something wrong and search for the truth. If not, you won't be able to judge properly. And what does it mean that after they left, you should look at them as righteous? He says, this is actually leaf name as sure as a din. This is beyond the letter of the law. After they leave and you heard both sides and you judged the case and you decided what's right and what's wrong, you should assume that the person who did something wrong has repented. He went home, he realized it was wrong, and he changed himself. And this is not just speaking about judges. This is speaking about everyday life when you're dealing with reality and you have to deal who's right and who's wrong. So in the end, after you've worked things out, you should assume that the person did repent and he's no longer continuing in his ways. And what does it mean that you should examine the witnesses thoroughly? Because the more they talk, the more they're going to reveal. The more you listen to the person, the more you understand the truth. But on the other hand, you have to be careful with your own words, because if you speak too much, they will figure out what you're looking for, and they'll be able to lie. The Abbasid of Inasan explains that you shouldn't rush to answer. Instead, calmly analyze the question which was raised. And listen, you have to be calm when judging a case or listening to another person. And also, it shouldn't matter if it's a big problem or it's a small problem. We have to look for the truth in things. There's no difference between big or small when it comes to the truth. And Rashi explains, what does it mean that you shouldn't be like a lawyer? You shouldn't reveal the law to the people who are standing in front of you as if you're asking for shochad as if you're asking for a bribe. In other words, if you start to reveal the law, this guy's going to see he's losing, and during the break, he's going to give you some money on the side. That's not the thing we're supposed to do. Then shouldn't, They shouldn't be aware of what's actually going on. And the Derek Chaim explains, why shouldn't we look at them as Sadiqim, as righteous people, and give them kafzchus, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. He says, V'lo yarei lamita sadin. Because if not, you won't get to the depth of the law. Because you won't go in depth in what they're saying. Because if you view them as righteous, you'll just assume what they're saying is true. And you never really look into what they're saying. The Maram Sheik explains why shouldn't you speak too much with the litigants? Because you'll become friendly with them. You shouldn't speak to them about things that have nothing to do with the din, because then your cover's going to go down when you're speaking to them. As a judge, your cover will go down. The Aves Yisrael explains it also on a personal level. You shouldn't bring to your friends proofs as to what they're doing is right if what they're doing is wrong. It would be much better for us to get our friends to confess their sins than to attempt to rationalize them. Help your friends. Don't encourage rationalization for your friends. Now, the real Musa, which we can take from this mission for ourselves, even though the mission is basically talking about judges, but still, for ourselves, as far as Samuel says like this, Adam witnesses can also be the Yetzirah and the Yetzirah the good inclination and the bad inclination. So he says, just as witnesses insist they are stating the truth, so too the good and evil clinicians insist they're absolutely right. Your Yetzirah is telling you to do the wrong thing, and the Yetzirah is telling you to do the good thing, and they're both pressing with the same amount of strength. The Mishnah urges us to weigh carefully the testimony and contemplate prudently the course of action recommended by these internal witnesses. Only by weighing and doing a true cheshbon and nefesh, he says, with yishuv adas, 
with a settled mind, so then we'll be able to overcome our evil inclination. Because what happens, he says, often what appears to be the correct decision based on the initial reaction is the very opposite of the appropriate thing to do. All of a sudden, we get an idea and I had to do this thing. But if we would just slow down for a while, we'll see it's really the wrong thing. The Yetzirah always says, now, do it now. Go do that thing now. But if you slow down, you have Yeshiva Das, your mind is settled, then you'll be able to overcome your Yetzirah. Only by avoiding the natural tendency to yield to one's initial impulse and by giving careful and deliberate thought to the issue at hand, then, and only then, proper decisions can be made. So we have to slow down and not listen to our evil inclinations. But we see Taklas Lamais in the world, everyone's following after the Yetzirahs, following after evil inclinations. So what's the story? How do we look at the world in the correct way and make the right decision? Even though the Mishnayas are talking about judges, but they're also talking about each individual making the right decision. And even more than that, how does a person have the right deos, the right perspective on life, the right philosophy? People have all kinds of krum philosophies, and if your philosophy is off, so everything you do is off. So I want to bring the famous of Elkanan Wasserman who explains this. It's an unbelievable chiddush. It's well known in the Jewish world, but I want to tell it over to you anyway. He says like this, If you reflect on the issue you will find that the belief in God and the belief that God created the world is self-evident to all intelligent people. He says, as long as you are intelligent, you will know that God created the world. So what's going on? People don't believe in God. People live their lives without God. So he explains. He brings the Chavos Levavos. If a person suddenly spilled ink on a blank piece of paper, is there any possibility that you would look at the paper and you would see written words? Or you would see a whole book. I spill ink on this notebook and comes out a whole play. Is that possible? So the same thing. How can people look at the world? They see there's an intelligence behind the world. They see there's a creator behind the world. There's no way the world could have just created itself. It would be like spilling ink on paper and words coming out. It's impossible. So he asked, how can it be that some of the most intelligent people in the world don't believe there's a creator? How is that possible? So he explains that the answer is written inside the Torah itself. It says, we know there's a prohibition for a judge to take a bribe. And what's a bribe? Even a pruta, even a small amount. 25 cents is considered a bribe. And we say, even if the judge is a genius, if he takes that 25 cents, he's going to lean towards that person who gave it to him. So to every man, his rational assessment, like that of a judge, only exists if it hasn't been bribed and is entirely free from the desires and the pleasures of the physical world. We see from this that the source of hearsay, not believing in God, and perverse intellectual beliefs are not a breakdown of the mind per se. It's a failure to see the obvious, 
because he's been blinded because of his fear of losing the pleasures of this world. Tremendous chidush. Once a person is connected to his pleasures, to his habits, to his way of living, he doesn't want to change himself. Therefore, even things which are obvious, like there's a creator in the world, just like if you spill ink on paper, you're not going to produce a magazine. So there must be a creator. So how can it be that such intelligent people don't believe there's a creator? It's because they don't want to have a creator. They don't want a creator. If there's a creator, then there's an obligation. It means I got to go to shul. I have to keep Shabbos. I have to eat kosher. Who knows what I have to do? I don't want all those things. So since a person's been bribed, his mind no longer works. He could be a genius, but his mind's not working. And this is what the Chida says on the Mishnah. He says, what does it mean not to be like a lawyer? Don't look for merit in your bad deeds, the way that lawyers want to prove a case. In other words, you're doing bad things. You want to have your pleasures. You want to do what you want to do. So therefore, you look for the merit, and you see how I need this, and it's good for me, and who says, and why not? Everybody else is doing it. Who knows? 50,000 excuses of why you do what you do. But that rationalization is just coming because you're connected to the pleasure. But he continues and says, but Hashem judges us every day. The great judge judges us. And God knows the truth. And therefore, we have to do a spiritual counting. And we have to look at our lives and see what direction we're taking. And what is it based on? Is it based on pleasure? And therefore, we've rationalized everything? Or no, it's really based on serving God. We want to serve God. Whatever it takes, we're willing to do. And if we do that, then we'll be judged favorably. Here is a powerful parable to open your mind and help you reach your potential. On Parsha's Matos, the Magid Madubna brings a mushal. He says like this, the Pasuk says, Behold, you have now risen to the place of your fathers as a group of sinners to add to the wrath of Hashem against Yisrael. So Rashi explains what does it mean to add, to add on what? He says, B'nai Yisrael added more and more to their sins. So he wants to bring a musha to explain this. He says, One time there was a poor man carrying a large bundle into a city. So there was this joker, this guy who does tricks. He came to speak to him. And I asked him, How are you doing? So the man said to him, How can I possibly be doing well? I haven't eaten for days. He says, No problem. I'll take you to my house and I'll take care of you. You'll be able to stay there for a couple of days. So what did he do? He tricks him and he brings him to the nicest inn in the city. And he says, listen, you can stay here. He gets the room. The room is very clean. He has a beautiful bed. They feed him three meals a day, fantastic meals. And he's so happy. After a couple of days, he says, okay, I'm going to leave. As he leaves, all of a sudden, the guy who owns the inn and says, hey, where are you going? You have to pay for everything that you got. It's not a free lunch here. So then the man realized, Oy, what happened? He understood that he was tricked by this guy. So he told the innkeeper, listen, hold on to all my stuff here. I just got to go outside for a minute. I got to think what to do. All of a sudden, the joker shows up again, but he was dressed in a costume. He didn't recognize this guy. So he asked him, what's the matter? You look so despondent. What's going on with you? 
So he tells him a story about how this guy tricked him. So he says to him, listen, your stuff is still in the hotel. It's going to cover the cost. Why don't you just go back there and spend a couple more nights and eat and drink, and this way you'll be happy. So that was the mashal. What's the nimshal? He explains. The Yetzirah comes to a man in his childhood when he's young, and he tells him, enjoy the pleasures of this world. Then what happens? As he gets older, he starts to realize his mistake. Oi, what did I do in my life? So then what happens? The Yetzirah comes back to him a second time. He says, listen, anyway you have to pay for your actions. You might as well just enjoy the pleasures of this world a little bit more. So we have to realize how the Yetzirah tricks us, even into our old age. It's time for Great Stories About Great Rabbis. Rav Yitzchak Zilberstein brings down the story of Rav Avram Svi Barber. So he explains that he was a Rav who was involved in education for many, many years. But even though he was a big year at Shemayim, he had tremendous fear of heaven, he always made sure not to bother other people because of his fear of heaven. He didn't want to cause other people any kind of tircha, any kind of bother. So in his house, he didn't have too many pictures. But one picture he had was actually a page of a Musa Sefer that he put into a frame. And on that page, it reminded him of his own day of death. Like the sages say, remember the day of death. And this way, it will be easier to avoid sin. So he had this in a frame on his wall. So one morning, his wife woke up and noticed that the picture was missing. She didn't know where it went. So she asked her husband, did you see the picture? So he just shrugged his shoulders. What really happened? A couple months before that, he was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And he knew that his wife was very, very upset. So he took down the picture because he says, listen, even though it might help me, it might help me in my fear of God. But every time my wife reads that, she's going to get upset and she's going to think that I'm dying. I don't want to cause her suffering for the sake of my fear of God. Learn to give, love, and communicate. This is Peace in Your Home. Rev. Bo Sharon Stern talks about giving and receiving rebuke in the home. So he has a bunch of rules here. Rule number one, don't rebuke your spouse when you or your spouse are angry. If you rebuke people when you're angry or you rebuke when the other person is angry, it's just going to flare up the fire even more. Not only that, you might say things you're going to regret. He tells a story one time. There was a cheder Rebbe where the child really misbehaved in the class. So what happened? The Rebbe walked out of the class and came back 15 minutes later. So the child was sure that he went to the principal's office and he's really in big trouble. So the Rebbe explained to him, no, I just left the class because I was upset. Now I'm calm down. I came back. I want to speak to you. I want to educate you. I want to help you. But if I would have spoken to you in the moment, I don't know what I would have said. Another rule is that a person should not reject rebuke because he feels the other person doesn't care about them. We're talking about a married couple. We should assume that our spouse cares about us, and they're telling us this in order to help us. Like the Mishlei says, the wounds of a friend are more faithful than the kisses of an enemy. And the Avast Rebbe Nassim says, if you have friends, some who rebuke you and some who praise you, love the ones who rebuke you. Another rule is, before you give rebuke, speak words of love and friendliness. This way the other person feels comfortable. 
and they know you're not coming from the wrong place. Also, rebuke should be given in small doses. The sub Makel, when it says in Gemara Bam Metziah 31a, you shall rebuke, rebuke your fellow Jew even a hundred times. So he wants to explain what it means a hundred times. You should break it up into a hundred small pieces so the person will accept it. Another point is, every effort should be made to avoid unpleasantness. Shouting is not only shameful, but it's also highly unpleasant. You don't have to scream and yell. You can talk. He tells the story of Revario Lin was one time walking on Shabbos, and a kibbutznik, a chilani, walked by smoking a cigarette. So Revario said to him, Don't you know it's Shabbos today? You're not allowed to smoke? So the guy said, I'm not Jewish, and it's permitted to smoke. So Revario said to him, Please don't talk like that. You're my beloved brother. How can you smoke on Shabbos? So after he heard the way that Ravari spoke to him, he said to him, I am a Jew. I've been called a Shegetz a hundred times, but you're the first Rav that really spoke to me in such a loving way that I feel you're there for my benefit. You're trying to help me. There's another famous story. I believe it's Ravelli Alopian. There was a guy driving by on Shabbos, and they're walking to Shul. And the guy opens his window and asks for instructions how to get to a certain street. So he says to him, How can I give you instructions to help you do an Avera on Shabbos? On the other hand, how can I refuse a favor to a fellow Jew? And he started to cry. The driver got out of his car. He says, I never felt the spirit of true rebuke as in this moment. My mother was always yelling at me to keep Shabbos, but I never saw her cry the way you cried. At that point, the person decided to keep Shabbos. And there's the famous law, Kodesh, that says in the Mishlei, Do not rebuke a joker, lest he hate you. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love you. What's Peshat, the law says? When rebuking a person, you should not call him a joker. Rather, you should tell him he's a wise man, because if you tell him he's a joker, he's going to hate you. If you tell him he's a wise man, then he'll listen to you, he'll love you. So when it comes to giving and receiving rebuke in the house, it has to be with love, it has to be with care, and it has to be done with respect. Okay, that's it for this week's Torah Podcast. Please share it with your friends, and please leave comments. Thank you for listening. To get more enthusiasm for your Judaism, become a free member at globalyeshiva.com.